You know, I was thinking about the name Hope Church. And I love the name Hope because it just speaks of hope. You know, it's one of those things where you say, we have the best hope that the world could ever want or desire. And I was thinking, if I could change the name or if we decided we were going to change the name from Hope, what would, what would be another name for the church that I would say, yeah, I would like that too. And the answer I came up with is grace. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend, grace. Um, I believe that one of the key doctrines in Scripture that is misunderstood by a lot of people and by Christians is this idea of grace, the grace of God. And what do, I, what do I mean by that? Why do I say that? Well, think about this. How many of your friends and family members, just people you know, how many of them think their efforts will save them? Probably a lot of them. If they believe in God, they believe that they're involved, that their actions, their, their accomplishments, their belief, whatever it is, is going to win the day for them, Right? Or, let me ask you this, how many people do you know think God is happy or angry with them because of their behavior? Uh, They think, oh, God is angry with me. Why? Because I'm not living the way I know I should. Or, God is happy with me because I happen to be living and I'm going through one of those times where I happen to be doing well. And so God is happy with me when I'm doing well, but He's really angry with me. And lately He's been really angry with me. Um. Why are so, why do so many Christians think that people, um, are headed to hell because of their sin? And I don't mean because they're sinners, but because of a particular sin. And they would say, the biggest problem with this person is they need to stop doing that sin. And you say, wait a minute, isn't the biggest problem is they need Jesus? And then once they get to know Jesus, he'll help them and they'll kind of Become more like Jesus and sin less, right? See, this is grace. This is, this is why I think grace is so misunderstood. And the point I want you to see is that God is a God of grace. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And it, that's just the way it is. And so as we, we're going to kind of finish up our, our discussion, our talk, our study on Jacob. And we're going to jump to Genesis 48-ish. So Genesis chapter 48. I'll give you a page number in a minute. I just want to review a little bit about where we've been with Jacob. And we could have taken more time. but and, and when we go through the life story of Joseph, you know, you'll see a little bit about what's going on with Jacob. But we're going to kind of close it up. Jacob began, his life began in conflict. He wrestled with his brother in the womb. I mean, you can't get more conflict from the beginning than that, right? Uh, so he began wrestling with his brother, his twin brother, in the womb. He desperately sought his father's blessing, but he never really got it. He ended up trying to steal it, and ultimately he did. He battled um, his brother over the birthright. He battled with his uncle. Uh, he battled his uncle for first his bride, which is... Uncle switched, and then he battled his uncle over their their animals and who's who do they belong to and and all of that. Uh, so there was there was battle there. Um, he, you would think, well, because his father favored 
his older brother over him, you'd think he wouldn't show favoritism, but he just absolutely did. He favored the two sons of his favorite wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And so, you know, you know the story. We're going to look at it starting next week, and we're going to look at the story of Joseph and how um, he favored Joseph to the point that he put a bullseye on him. <laughs> That's the coat of many colors. That was the bullseye, right? It was like, yeah, just a reminder, Dad loves me the best. You know, nice. Thanks, Dad. You know, why don't you just put a bullseye on me because that's going to help a lot. Um, we don't, we'll, we'll get to this probably sometime, but he, he's going to overlook the rape of his daughter. And he's going to fail to lead his sons who are enraged and outraged by this and how they kind of handle retribution and justice there. He wrestles with God. Nelson talked about that last weekend. And uh, he began after that wrestling match, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And his life was filled with striving and conflict. So this weekend, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the end of his life. And we're going to look at where he, Jacob, begins to bless his children. And blessing in that day was a really important thing. He is going to give a final blessing over his sons. Now, the blessing wasn't merely he was wishing them well, and I hope things go well with you, and yes, I hope you do well, and I hope you're prosperous, I hope you have many... No, the blessing given by Jacob was almost seen as an oracle from God. That it was a God-given utterance of how they would live the rest of their lives as, the, as his sons, but as the nations that they would become. So it was really, the blessing was a prophetic word from God about their future. Now, in the chapters we're going to look at, there's two different blessings. First, there's the blessing of Joseph and his sons, and then we're going to see the blessings of Jacob's sons. Okay, And so that's kind of where we're going to go. So we're going to look first at the blessing of Joseph and his sons, because Joseph, while he was a prisoner and while he was in Egypt, he married an Egyptian wife and they had children. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, so it's interesting because we'll look at the, the blessing of Joseph is very interesting and his sons. Uh, you know, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, many people call that the, the Hall of Fame. You know, uh, this last week uh, we had the NBA finals and... Uh, everybody's debating who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Who's the best basketball player of all time? And uh, who deserves to be in the Hall and who doesn't? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of like the Old Testament, who's in the Hall of Fame and why are they there? But it's not the Hall of Fame, it's the Hall of Faith. And, and basically everyone is listed because of something they did that showed their faith. And so Jacob is in there. And it's very interesting. There's only one sentence about Jacob. And I'm going to read it to you right now. And you'll go, huh? So here it is. Hebrews 11:21. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. So Joseph is, is praised for what? Not blessing Joseph, but blessing his grandsons. You say, well, what is that all about? And, and, and we're going to look at that in a minute. Because there's a, the, the, the whole Old Testament account of that is kind of interesting, what's going on there. Um, but what I want you to see is this, that this, of all that Jacob did, 
wrestling with God, you know, doing all this stuff. This is what gets in Hebrews 11. You go, why? What's the point? Well, that's what we want to look at. So this is where we're going to dive into Genesis uh, chapter 48 and verse, uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 5, and then I'm going to jump a little bit, but the verses uh, will be up on the screen so you know where I'm at. But let me read this, because we're going to go to that passage of Scripture that in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, this is why Jacob exercised faith. And so now we're going to read the full account of it, okay? Okay, Genesis 48, 5. Now I am claiming as my sons these two boys of yours. This is Jacob speaking to Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons, just as Reuben and Simeon are. Then Jacob looked over at the two boys. Are these your sons, he, re- he asked? Yes, Joseph told him. These are the sons God has given me here in Egypt. And Jacob said, bring them closer to me so that I can bless them. Jacob moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees, and he bowed with his face to the ground. And then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay hands on the boy's heads. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim. That would have been the younger boy, okay, though he was younger. And his left hand on the head of Manasseh, though he was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they preserve my name in the names of Abraham and Isaac. And may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. But Joseph was upset when he saw what his fa- that his father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. So Joseph lifted it and moved it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. No, my father, he said, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But the father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also be, become great, a great people. But his younger brother will become even greater. And his descendants will become a multitude of nations. So Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. The people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. They will say, may, the God, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. In this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. So what's going on here? So Joseph's being very careful because it, it seems that Jacob has lost his eyesight. Now, isn't it very interesting that when fathers are giving blessings out in the book of Genesis, they're, they're losing their sight, they can't see what they're doing, they're not quite with it, and, and that's kind of how Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, right? Uh, but here it is. He places, he's very careful to place the firstborn, his firstborn son, uh, Manasseh, uh, by uh, Jacob's right hand, and he places uh, Ephraim by the left hand. And so they're standing there, and so all, all Jacob has to do is put his hands out and lay, lay his... Now, the right hand was really important. The right hand was a place of honor. The right hand uh, son would receive a double portion, a double blessing. The right, the, it was a representative of the family. It was a, it was a big blessing. It was, it was huge. The firstborn was huge. So Joseph wanted to get the order right, so he puts them right. And so 
then Jacob goes into his blessing. Joseph must have had his head down or something. All of a sudden, he notices what his father's doing. So what does he do? He grabs his father's. Now, see, what he does is, instead of Jacob going like this, Jacob crosses his arms. Now, Joseph grabs his father's arms, tries to uncross them and put them on, on, you know, the firstborn son. And he says, you know, Joseph's probably thinking, Dad's blind as a bat, can't see, doesn't know what he's doing. I've got to fix this thing. And Jacob stops him and he says, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I am blessing. I am blessing your younger son, Ephraim, over Manasseh. He is going to be the son of honor. Now, a couple things are going on here. Jacob had 12 sons. We know that, right? Joseph was one of the 12 sons. Benjamin was one of the 12 sons. Benjamin and Joseph were his favorite sons by his favorite wife, Rachel. So there's 12 sons. Now, what, Joseph, what, what uh, Jacob is doing is very interesting here. He is saying, I am a, Joseph, I am adopting your two boys as not my grandsons, but as my sons. And more than that, I am giving... I am giving Ephraim the blessing, the firstborn blessing. That's what he's doing here. And so Joseph is well aware of what's going on here. Um, The question is, and this is where we get to the point of the book of Hebrews. Why is this event pointed out in the book of Hebrews? Well, it's pointed out because Joseph has come to, or Jacob has come to see that God chooses not based upon the way that we think. That God is a God of grace. Now, what do I mean by that? See, Joseph is still operating on the principles of the world. Jacob had come to see the plans of God. How does the world react? The world at this time believed, and it believes that too today, that blessing goes to the firstborn. It goes to boys, not girls. It goes to the privileged of birth order. But Jacob... By blessing Ephraim, the younger boy was showing that being born into the right family in the right birth order did not bring the blessing. What Jacob was doing was he was saying the blessing doesn't come because you happen to be firstborn or you're born into the right family or that you're a boy. Today, our culture basically says the same thing. Our culture basically says today that the world belongs to those who are born smart, attractive, rich, popular, powerful, bigger, taller, more slender, more beautiful, wealthier, more educated, more successful. What does the Bible say? The first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Do you know what that is? It's a statement of grace. It's a statement of grace. You see, Ephraim was the younger brother. He was adopted by Jacob as, as Joseph's sons into the nation of Israel. He was an outsider. He was born in Egypt. He had a foreign mother. But now he is going to receive a double portion of the blessing, not because he deserved it, not because he earned it, not because he had the right birth order, but surely because of the grace of God. Why does Hebrews point out Jacob? Because Jacob is showing what faith that faith isn't earned by effort. It's not gained by scheming or plotting. It's not bought by bargaining. Uh, the grace, the blessing of grace, is freely given to undeserving, foreign-born, second-born sons. Grace is given to the left behind, the lost, the overlooked ones. 
And that's the theme over and over and over in the Bible. Over and over and over in the Bible, God deliberately chooses the one that the world would reject. And that's the point we need to see. Why is Jacob hallowed in the book of Hebrews? Because Jacob is basically saying God doesn't operate on the principles of the world. And by faith, he crossed his arms and he says, I understand grace now. I see how God works. The younger son over the older son every time. Think about this in the, in, in the book of Genesis alone. Abel, not Cain. Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau, Hagar, not Sarah, Leah, not Rachel. The theme goes on and on and on. The younger over the older. The younger over the older. And what the world said at that point was the older. It's the older. It's the older. And and what uh, Genesis does is it turns it on its head. Uh, Here's the thing you need to see. Grace is unexpected. It's undeserved. It's unearned. God sovereignly gives His grace to those who are failures, the mess-ups, the lost, the second, third, fourth-born, the poor, the foreign-born, the outcast. People like you and me. Because not all of us get noble birth, do we? Not all of us are in line, right? And that's the point. The point is grace comes to the people who don't deserve it, who don't expect it. That, 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 that. See, every world religion teaches that we pull ourselves up by our own efforts, that we get our act together, that we work hard, that we do our best, or at least better than the majority. And then, uh, and then we come to a place where we hope, we really hope, we say, I hope God will accept me because of what I've done. I have the right birth. I have, I've been born into the right family. I, I work hard. I believe in, we do all those things. But the gospel of grace says this, that we admit that we don't have it all together, that I am weak and I am lost, that I come to a place where I call out to God and, and I say something like this, you're going to have to help me. I need Jesus to save my lost soul. So the blessing the blessing of, of Joseph's sons is, is pretty significant here. Because what Joseph, uh, what Jacob is doing is he's taking the least expected, the last one that anybody would think, and he's exalting him. Think about David, King David, one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. Remember when they were looking through J- David's family, looking for the king? Because basically Samuel was told, go to this, uh, the house of Jesse, because the king is one of his sons. They go through from top to bottom. And God says, you haven't found him yet. And finally, the, the prophet says, is, is there anyone else? Ah, there's this ruddy little kid out in the field. And they bring David in. None of his brothers expected that. That's grace. They brought nothing to the table. And that's grace. And that's why he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. Because he's understanding grace. You don't manipulate God. You don't tell God how things are going to be. You come to God as a broken person, as a second or third born. That everybody in the world passes over, but not God. That's grace. That's for every one of us. Because we all don't know we don't measure up. And we all know we weren't born in the right family, you know, in a sense. 
Well, let's talk about the blessing of Jacob's sons. We don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but let me just do it. So the first blessing is really for his grandsons, but he elevates his grandsons to sons. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute. The second blessing is Jacob blessing his 12 sons. But we know for a fact that his one son, Joseph, is no longer you know, seen as a son. His two grandsons have been elevated. So that means that the nation of Israel really has 13 tribes. Because you have Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh, plus the other 11, right? And so there's not 12 tribes, there's 13 tribes. Didn't know that, did you? Well, it's true. It's true. Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh were elevated to be sons, so now there's not... So Joseph is no longer a son. His two boys are sons of Jacob. And... uh, And Ephraim receives what? A double portion because he has received the birthright. Now, think about this. So how do you get around this 13 tribe issue? Well, you get around it by this. When the the nation of Israel finally does come into the promised land, the tribe of Levi did not get land. Their job was to tend to the tabernacle, the temple, and to, you know, breaking it up, setting it down, and running the temple. So they were cared for, but they didn't possess property. So that means we're now we're back to 12 tribes that had property in the tribe of Levi that kind of, you know, did the, the holy work, uh, the, the sacred work of the temple. Okay? So let's get back to the blessing. Now, remember, I said before, the blessing is the prophetic word from the Father of what God has given him for what each of is going to happen to his sons. But we're not going to go through each son because we're just going to go down through a few of them because we see something very interesting. So Reuben is the firstborn. Now, Reuben should have been the son of blessing, should have been the one to receive the double blessing. He was the firstborn, right? But he's not. Now, look at what's going on with Reuben. Uh, if, you, if you want to follow along with this, uh, it's uh, Genesis chapter 49. That's where he begins to sit down with the 12 sons, and he begins to bless them. And you'll see them, him listing. And, and, and like I said, uh, remember we talked about uh, when uh, Isaac was going to try to give the blessing to Esau, and he kind of tried to do it privately and stuff. What's Jacob doing? publicly he's getting all of his sons and he's bringing them in and saying here it's time from the oldest to the youngest now you come up now you come up now you come up he lays hands on him and he gives the blessing and it's a prophetic blessing and that's what's going on here so he starts with reuben reuben is his firstborn son but his status has been uh he's lost his status as firstborn why because he defiled his father's bed Now, how did he do that? He slept with his father's concubine. You can read about it. So basically, Jacob says, if you had the firstborn blessing, you just lost it. You don't have it. And he doesn't have very nice things to say about it, okay? So this is another thing you need to know. Blessing of the father can also be a cursing. So he is. He's basically cursing his son, uh, his firstborn son, Reuben. So we come to Simeon. Simeon and Levi, they lose their status. Why? Well, you can read about it. Remember I told you that, uh, that Jacob's daughter, Diana, was raped? 
and, well, Simeon and Levi carried out uh, retribution. They basically went after, uh, and you can read about it. And so basically, Simeon and Levi lose their status because they carry out incredibly deplorable acts of violence in retaliation to the rape of their sister Diana. Okay? So we come to Judah. Now just stop for a minute. You've seen your, your, seen your oldest brother get cursed by God. Now you've seen Simeon and Levi, and basically they lose their blessing, in a sense. So you come to Judah. If you're Judah, what are you thinking right now? Oh no, Dad's in a bad mood. Hey, can we postpone this? Can we catch you another day? Hey, man, can I get you something? Do you want to take a break? Is there something I can do for you? I mean, he must have been sitting there going, oh, man, this is not turning out real well. This is not good. You know, this is bad. This is really bad. Uh, We talked a little bit about... uh, Now, Judah, we'll talk about his blessing in a minute. But you would say, okay, so then Judah gets a blessing. And we'll see that in a minute. But Judah does not become the leader of the family. That honor, as we said already, goes to Ephraim, Joseph's son, uh, Jacob's grandson. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Uh, Let me show you a couple of verses. Jeremiah 31, uh, 31, 9 and 20. Let me read those to you. And you'll see this. They shall come weeping with uh, supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers uh, of waters in a straight way, speaking of the nation of Israel, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am the father of Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. So you see how Ephraim is being used to speak of the whole nation of Israel, but also the firstborn. And in 1 Chronicles 5, 1, it says, Reuben, since he dishonored his father by sleeping with one of his father's concubines, his birthright was given to the sons of his brother Joseph. We know that to be Ephraim. So now, <laughs> this is so crazy because now it's, it's the blessing, the 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 person who is leading the family is no longer Reuben, the firstborn. It's not even the lastborn son, Benjamin. <laughs> it's the son of Joseph who was born in Egypt who wasn't even the firstborn. Do you get the point of how detached this is? And this is the point of grace. And that's why that moment in Hebrews is so big because he jumped over all of his uncles to become the one that was looked at as the leader of Israel. So let's talk about the blessing of of, uh, Judah. So Judah must have been sweating. (laughs) What am I going to do? You know, this is bad. (laughs) You know, three strikes and, you know, and what has happened? Well, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Okay, that's pretty good. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares who dares to rouse him. The question is no one. 
The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. He ties his foal to the grapevine, a colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. This is an incredibly uh, remarkable passage. You know, in Genesis 3.15, it says, The curse on the serpent is that he will, you will strike him on the heel. The serpent will strike the, the, the descendant of Eve on the heel, but the descendant of Eve, the child of Eve, will come and strike the death blow to the serpent. That's what many people in the uh, theology call the proto-evangelion or the first gospel, basically saying that one day Jesus will come and will defeat the devil once and for all. You know what's going on here in Judah? The blessing of Judah? Jacob is basically saying to Judah, you are going to bear the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus. It's describing, it's describing Jesus. Um, so he's the fourth or, uh, of 12 sons. Um, he, uh, now, let, let's be clear. Judah was no choir boy, no angel. He, he, uh, he slept with his daughter-in-law who had disguised herself. He, had, he was the one who came up with a plan to sell Joseph to the, the, uh, the caravan that was headed to Egypt. It was his plan. Now, his brothers wanted to kill him, but Joseph, or Judah came up with a plan to sell him as a slave to the, uh, the uh, caravan headed, the Ishmaelites that were headed to Egypt. Um, so he must have ex- expected um, the same treatment. But what does his father say? He says, your brothers will praise you. That's shocking. And then notice he says, all your relatives will bow before you. This, re- this refers to the great lineage of Judah. Judah is going to have many kings. His sons are going to grow up to be kings. We know them. Saul was the first king. We know David. David was a king. Solomon. These were all descendants of Judah. Ultimately, the, fi- the ultimate descendant, the final descendant was who? Jesus Christ. Was, the book of Revelation says he was the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So this is a very prophetic passage of Scripture. And then it says, The scepter will not depart from Judah until the coming of the one who belongs to the the one whom all the nations will honor. This tells us that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Jesus, would be born of the line of Judah. And like I said, the book of uh, Revelation 5.5 says that Jesus is called the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, there's a couple other things here in this passage that I think are very interesting. Um, notice this. It says he ties uh, his foal, his, his donkey, his animal, to a vine. And it says that um, he washes his clothes in wine. And so here's a hint, I think, not just of the coming one, but the coming one who would ride on a donkey, the coming one who would be blood-soaked at some point. And we'll see this played out. You get to the prophets, you see the suffering prophet or the suffering servant 
coming. Uh, you see uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, and all the suffering. And people say when you read Psalm 22, you're reading about somebody who must be, you know, it's, it seems like it's describing a crucifixion because it talks about looking down and while you're being tortured. So all this is very interesting to me. So I want to close with really two quick points of application. Um, because what we're, we're, what we're doing right now is we're saying, okay, what, what has this to do with grace? What has everything to do with grace? You see, God uses an imperfect son to carry out his perfect will. So what God is going to do is he's going to use Judah, who is imperfect. He, he slept with his daughter-in-law. Now, she was disguised, but he still slept with his daughter-in-law and tried to, you know, there, you can read about all of that. Um, he, he was not, he, he wasn't, this, the point you need to see is he, he didn't get the privilege of being the father of the Messiah, the father of the Savior because he was good or because he deserved it, because he lived a moral life. It wasn't because of that. And by the way, salvation doesn't come because of that to us. So God uses an imperfect son, Judah, to carry out his perfect plan. Judah wasn't perfect. He, he, like I said, he came up with a plan to sell Joseph into slavery. But there was an event in the life of Judah where he showed that God was working in his heart. Now, I have to give you a little background, and we'll get into this when we talk about the story of Joseph. As I said before, Judah was the one who said, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites who are on a caravan to Egypt. Let's sell him. Let's just get rid of him. And then they went back and they told their dad, they told Jacob, your son whom you love is dead. Well, they didn't say that. They showed him the coat of many colors soaked in blood and said, doesn't this belong to your son? Yeah, duh, of course it does. He must have been ripped apart, right? That's kind of what happened. So we know there was, if you read the story of Joseph, there's a famine and Joseph's brothers have to come to Egypt because Egypt is the only place where there's enough grain, enough food. And so they all, you know, not all the brothers, but a number of the brothers go into Egypt for food. Joseph, on seeing his brothers come in, immediately recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them. He knows them. And he, so he, he basically gives them grain. He reaches them. And what he does is he hides the silver cup. Cup of you know it's the cup it, it's the cup of the king basically, and he hides it in Benjamin's bag. Now why is this important? Because Benjamin is Joseph's younger brother through his mother Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin were the two beloved sons of Jacob. He loved them these two boys more than all the others because they were his favorite sons of his favorite wife. We don't have time to go into that. I just want you to see that. So they, they take off, and Joseph immediately sends his troops out and says, bring them back. And he says, hey, you know, the cup is missing. Which one of you guys took it? And, and it was like, we didn't do it. We just came to get grain. That's it. We were minding our own business. We got the grain. We went, you know, we said, hi, bye, thanks, and we left. That was it. You brought us back. And so <clears throat> Joseph says, the one that I find the cup, the bag that I find the cup in is going to become my slave, my servant. So they go from the oldest to the youngest. They come to Benjamin, who's the youngest, and they open the bag, and guess what they find? They find the cup. 
they find the cup. So, we we come to this place where Judah steps up. And and basically, uh, Joseph says, and they don't know who Joseph, they know he's powerful. They know they can, you know, with the word, they're dead. And, And so, he basically begs for Benjamin's life. He he begs for his brother's life. So there's a change of heart. And Joseph tells him only the one uh, with a, who stole a cup would become a slave. And Benjamin, as I said, was the youngest. Judah steps up and pleads with Joseph. And this is what he says. This is in chapter, uh, this is in verse 33. He says this. Let me become the slave in place of the boy. Let me bear the blame. You see what's going on there? Judah was the one who had him first sold. But now Judah is the one that says, Take me. Take me. So God uses an imperfect son to carry out his perfect will. And, secondly, God uses his perfect son to rescue imperfect people like you and me. Now, notice the parallels between Judah and Jesus. Here they are. Judah was willing to become a slave to set his innocent brother free. Jesus became a slave so that we who are guilty could be set free. See the parallel there? It's very powerful. Judah was willing to become the slave so that his little brother, who was innocent, could go free. Jesus became a slave. He didn't just... You see, Judah offered to become a slave. Jesus became a slave. Judah offered to be punished. He never was. Jesus was punished. But he wasn't punished for innocent people. See, we're not Benjamin. We're not innocent of stealing the cup. We stole the cup. We're guilty. We're guilty. And that's why Jesus had to come from heaven to earth and die on a cross because we're sinners. The Bible says we're all sinners. We, and there's no not one. We've, we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Unlike Benjamin, we are not innocent. We are not without sin. We are guilty. You see that? That's grace. You know, there was a time where Jesus, after his resurrection, he met uh, some of his followers by the road. And they didn't recognize him. And then finally he revealed himself. And it says he began to show them where he was in, in the Word of God. In, it would have been the Old Testament at that point. I guarantee you that Jesus went to this passage and said, I'm the ultimate Judah. I'm the final Judah. I'm the one that when Jacob gave his blessing, he was talking about me. And when Judas said those words, let me read them one more time. Let me become the slave in place of the boy. Let me bear the blame. Jesus would say, and that's what I did. I'm the one who took the guilt, who took the blame, who took the punishment that you deserve because you weren't innocent, because you were guilty. So Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He willingly took our place on a criminal's cross, not because we were born right or we look right or we're good people 
or because we deserve it, not because we've earned it. It is purely based on on his unexplainable, undeserved, unbelievable grace. And the reason that Jacob is mentioned in the book of Hebrews is because Jacob finally gets grace. And if you're here today and you think, what can I do to earn God's favor? I would say, if you're asking that question, you don't understand grace. But if you're here and you realize that you were guilty and you were lost and you were helpless and you were hopeless. And Jesus, for whatever reason, came from heaven to earth and climbed upon a cross for you and gave his life for you, the innocent one for the guilty, so that you could be set free. If you begin to understand that, you're beginning to understand grace. And there's too many people in this community and too many people in this world that don't get that. So if you get here, nothing else today, would you please hear this? Grace comes to people who are not the firstborn, who don't have their act together, who aren't necessarily the ones that the world would say, oh, you're the one. No, they're the overlooked. They're the left behind. They're the ones that the world doesn't seem to matter. They're the... And God comes in His grace and says, I forgive you. I don't know why, but he does. And for that, I'm grateful. And for that, I'm thankful. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. So, fathers, there's nothing we can do to earn this. We don't deserve it. It is grace. And thank you for the example of Judah, who shows us the ultimate Judah, Jesus, who came And didn't just offer his life. He gave it. And he didn't offer it for innocent people. He offered it for guilty people. But thank you, Father, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Help us to understand grace more deeply and more fully every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.